0: You're listening to Sweet Talk, All Things Maple.
1: Welcome back to Sweet Talk, All Things Maple. I'm your host, Aaron Whiteman, and joining me is my colleague and co-host, Adam Wild. Hello, Adam. Hi, Aaron.
0: We're coming off a great maple season up here in the North Country. We had a a really great production year, and most producers that I'm talking to up here had an excellent year as well. So how are things
1: down in the southern tier of New York? Yeah, things were a little more mediocre in our neck of the woods, but I did see the headline in the maple news the other day that people are expecting this to be a really big crop, especially in the North Country and in Quebec, where most of the syrup is made. So that's pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, you know, especially since we had such a poor production, you know, last year in 2021. So it
1: is exciting to have a great year this year, especially since sales are up. Yeah, so we made a lot of maple syrup for the Cornell Maple Program this year. Some of that gets sold as maple syrup. At the Cornell store and at the stores that you service in the Adirondacks, right, Adam? But some of the maple syrup also gets converted into maple cream, for instance, that we sell at the Cornell store. So we we do diversify what we sell, but we're thinking more and more that it's important to go beyond the traditional maple confections. Because we're having these these years where we're making big crops, we have more and more maple producers. So there's a lot of maple syrup on the market. We need to find new places to sell that in the future. So Diversification through conventional, but also new maple confections becomes top of mind.
0: Yeah, and to be able to grow that maple industry, we need to look beyond just selling table syrup. So what are those other kind of new products that we can create for pushing maple into the the food industry?
1: Right, and in recognition of the importance of product diversification, the Cornell Maple Program spends significant time focusing on things that can be made with maple sap other than syrup.
0: Yeah, and maple sap is a really versatile product that can be used to make all sorts of things. You know, it's a sugar that can also be fermented to create various alcohols and vinegar or other fermented
1: products. Right, that's true. This really gets to something that I've been pushing a lot, my personal viewpoint on this, and that's that often those of us who tap trees refer to ourselves as maple syrup producers. And that's true in some sense, but also we're really all tree sap farmers tree sap is the thing that we are farming from the woods, and we can take that raw material and turn it into many different things. So it's kind of like corn, right? You look at the ingredients on a lot of foods right now, and and corn seems to be in everything because it's versatile. But what we have is a high-value versatile product. We can make a wide range of gourmet and high-value products from maple sap.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's really true. And you can make so many things from maple sap and other tree saps as well. You know, and you, you can think beyond just the maple, but tapping birch or beech trees like we do here at the Eline Forest and utilizing that sap, whether it's concentrated into a higher sugar, but not maybe boiled. So we're not using all the energy or taking that raw sap and using that in various food products like various sodas or alcohols or things like that.
1: Yeah, that's so exciting. And we're leaning into that hard. So last year, the Cornell Maple Program hired a food scientist to focus on this really important area of inquiry. So today, we're going to take some time to meet our food scientist and provide a snapshot of one of her recent collaborations with Christian Mercado, a recent graduate of the Cornell Food Science Department. Great. Let's have a listen. So today we have two guests. First is Dr. Catherine Belisle, who serves as the Food Scientist and New Product Development Specialist at the Cornell Maple Program. Welcome, Catherine.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for being on the show. And we also have Christian Mercado, who is a recent graduate of the Master of Food Science Program at Cornell. Thanks for being here, Christian. Thanks for inviting me. So I'd like to start today by introducing Catherine to our listeners. Catherine, you've been with us for about a year now, but a lot of people in the maple community haven't had a chance to meet you yet. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself, perhaps where you're from, and what you were doing before you started working at the Cornell Maple Program?
2: Yeah, sure. So I'm originally from Tennessee, and I went to my undergrad, actually, at the University of Tennessee, where I studied food science. And then I immediately went into graduate school, first at the University of Georgia, where I worked with peaches, focusing on understanding quality and how to measure quality, that being texture, flavor, sugars, acids, and so forth. Just getting a good profile of what types of peaches are out there and how they differ. And then after that, I went to the University of Florida for my PhD, where I worked with lettuce, but the focus was on understanding post-harvest quality. So how does quality decline in products and what's going on internally? So I was able to work a little bit with biochemistry during that time. And I think that it gave me a broad understanding of food and how foods can be taken care of in regards to preserving their quality and trying to optimize their quality.
1: So that's all very interesting, but I have a further question to ask. So I think you've mentioned to me before that your interest in food and food science goes beyond your academic interest. You've enjoyed cooking with your family. Can you Tell us a little bit about that and your personal motivators for being involved with food science.
2: Yeah, I did. I grew up in a household filled with a love for food. My mother and I would watch food channels on weekends and try and dissect the foods that we would eat in restaurants to understand what was in them. And then I would make confections in the kitchen a lot with my grandmother when I was growing up and even as an adult which was always a lot of fun. So I've always had a big passion for food and I've always been curious about how food does what it does. How does an egg turn white when you cook it? And all of that stuff has always really interested me.
1: Yeah, those are really fascinating questions that I think a lot of us just take for granted. And it's great that we have people like you who are investigating it and finding out ways to make food better, more efficiently and more safely. So for your role now, you've had a little bit of time to settle in with the maple program. So what are some of the projects you're working on now? What are some of your priority areas?
2: Well, so I have a couple priority areas, some that are related directly with food and others that are not. So with food, I have a couple different projects. One is working on maple marshmallows, dehydrated, fresh, and marshmallow spread. We also work on different beverages such as maple water, non-alcoholic and alcoholic beverages. And more recently, looking at creating sugar from high invert maple syrup. So those are the main food confections that I've worked with so far. We've also recently been setting up a commercial kitchen with a 20C processing license. And that'll allow us to expand on our research capabilities and be able to help producers more.
1: Yeah, and if I can add to that, prior to you coming on board with the program, Catherine, our kitchen capacity, our our facility here was very rudimentary. And you've done an amazing job equipping our new maple lab, our new research kitchen. And there's all kinds of equipment in there now. And I think we we can pretty much do anything we need to do related to maple research in-house, which is a great capability to have. So with that capability, what are some areas of potential growth for the maple industry? What sectors or maybe specific products come to mind as areas where we can dabble with maple and maybe have some successful products that we launch?
2: Well, I think it's really great that we have maple producers who are excited about maple and are so passionate about maple. And because we have those producers, it makes growth a lot more feasible. So as far as growth in the maple industry, what I see is really diving into how we can use the health beneficial compounds and focus on those in the market. So what I mean by health benefit compounds are the antioxidants and the minerals that are found in maple sap and maple syrup. Most of the sugars that are on the market, they don't have high antioxidant or mineral levels, but maple syrup does. And so there's already been some research that supports that. And I think that it's an opportunity that we really need to dive into.
1: Yeah, I think that's really key what you've identified there, that we can leverage the health benefits of maple along with the environmental benefits because it's produced so sustainably to reach new customers and create new product formulations that excite people because it's produced with maple as a natural sweetener. But if I turn that on its head, you know, we're primarily composed of small businesses with limited capacity, you know, limited resources. How do we move forward with new products in the face of the fact that we are basically a lot of small family farms comprising the majority of the industry? Is that something that we need to address and how do we, how do we address that?
2: So for maple producers, regardless of the size of their operation, they can use the fact sheets or extension articles that we're putting out there and use those in their facilities. So a lot of people think that making these products is complex and difficult, but it's really not. You can have a 20 c kitchen in your house. You just need to have the room separated from the animals or your regular kitchen that you use on a daily basis. And in our fact sheets, we include understanding of why the product is acting a certain way. Why are marshmallows the texture that they are? And we give specific recipes and guidelines for how you can make sure that your product is ready to go to market, including what regulations are needed. Do you need to go through the FDA, through New York State Ag and Markets, and so forth? We provide all that information so that it's easy for small and large producers to produce these types of products.
1: Yeah, so what I'm hearing is that an area of need is simply information for maple producers so they understand the regulatory requirements and understand that there are resources available so that they can make other products at home with resources they have. They just need to understand the regulations and they need to understand some kind of basic food science and you're providing a lot of that.
2: Yes, I'm doing my best too and I'm always open for having individual producers reach out for questions as well.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. And In addition to the capacity that we've built in the Cornell Maple Program in-house, we work at Cornell University, which is a large research institution with a lot of other resources that we can tap into. Can you talk a little bit about some of the resources that are available to you that can be utilized for maple research?
2: Yeah, so Cornell University has a lot of opportunities to collaborate with other researchers, but also as a producer you can reach out to different individuals Some of the people that I've met since working here are uh, mostly in Geneva. They include Dr. Olga Padilla and Dr. Bruno Xavier. They both work for the Food Venture Center, which helps when you need a process approval for your product. And they also offer a better process control school, which is important if you're making any acidified foods. There are two other people I I just want to mention that I think are really great resources for maple producers. One of those people is Dr. Anne Vegdal, and she works in food microbiology. So anytime any of the producers are interested in understanding what microorganisms are growing or if there are microorganisms growing in their food products, they can reach out to her. She works in Extension. And then the last person is Chris Gerling. He's a specialist in wine and beers, specifically he actually manages the vinification and brewing lab in Geneva, New York. So I think the opportunities here at Cornell University are extensive for the maple producers and for our own research.
1: Yeah, you've mentioned some really tremendous opportunities we have to collaborate with our colleagues on campus. You mentioned the Geneva campus, so Cornell's Agritech campus in Geneva, New York is a really amazing facility. It's a huge facility with a lot of different resources that are available, including a pilot kitchen that's just enormous and some other experts that can can be tapped into. So the Cornell Food Venture Center can be found online. And and we've worked with all these people and it's, it's really great to have those resources. So just circling back, Catherine, you mentioned that if people have questions, they can reach out to you directly. Can you tell us a little bit more about how they can contact you and what services you can provide?
2: Yeah, so I can be contacted via email and you can find my email on cornellmaple.com either through the contact us page or you can look at people and you can see my name and email address at the bottom of the screen. The services that I can provide are really individual consultation as needed. Whether you're having an issue with a particular product, you're not sure where to get started with your product, or you already have a product and you want to figure out how to get it to market, I can help you with that. You can just reach out to me, let me know what's going on, and I'll do my best to either help you myself or point you in the direction of someone who could help.
1: Great. So I really encourage folks to reach out to Catherine with questions. It's a unique resource in the Maple world, and we're really lucky to have her. Now, one other thing that's really interesting about working in a university environment is that we get to interact with students, both undergraduates and graduate students. And Cornell University is one of the top universities in the world. So we have students that come in with just tremendous talent and great ideas, and it's been really fun to work with them through the Maple program. Can you tell us a little bit about your collaborations with students, Catherine?
2: Yeah, we've had really great experiences with students so far. Like you said, I've only been here for about a year. So in that time, we've been able to work with Capstone students in order to develop a shelf-stable maple water. And I was also fortunate to have the opportunity to work with the Big Red Brew Club. Big Red Brew Club was developing a beer last fall, and they were interested in using maple in addition to other local New York State products. When I was at the brewery, learning more about this beer, I met Christian Mercado, who was a food science master's student at the time. So we were emailing back and forth and decided to move forward with a new product. And he really led this. His idea was to make a liqueur using maple. And so we ended up getting to collaborate, and I think that we could really ask him more about it.
1: Yeah, that's all really interesting. So let's bring Christian into the conversation. Christian, can you tell us a little bit about how you arrived at Cornell, what your background is, what your interest is in product development, and what you've gained through this process of working in the food science program? Sure.
3: I started in this whole journey a long time ago. So I have a background in industrial engineering, and I've been brewing beer for about 10 years. And at some point, my partner started her PhD at Cornell University. We moved to Ithaca, New York. And after learning a little bit more about the Master of Food Science program and knowing that my passion had always lied in the area of food science and beer brewing, I decided to do a slight career shift from being a technology consultant to becoming a food and beverage consultant. And that's where I got into the MFS program. I specialized in alcoholic beverages production. And that included beer, wine, and spirits.
1: Well, wow, on the face of it, engineering and working with distilled spirits and the like seems like a pretty dramatic difference. So you said it was a slight career shift, but are there some parallels there? There's some is there some overlap between those two fields?
3: I like to think so. I see a lot of overlap in terms of processes and process improvement. Most of the products that I support and supported through my career as a technology consultant were based on processes. Most of them worked in the area of supply chain logistics. And it's just a conglomeration of processes that are put together to achieve a goal. And in the area of food science is something rather similar, where we want to create an end product. And we start by defining what are the processes that chain up to make that product happen. And then we work together to refine each of those steps.
1: Yeah, when you talk about process engineering and viewing The production of these beverages as processes that makes a lot of sense that there is overlap and it makes sense that your engineering background would be very beneficial you mentioned before we started recording you mentioned that you have a podcast of your own that relates a little bit to engineering at least in the title can you tell us about your podcast sure about a year ago i was looking for
3: podcasts in spanish about food and beer And I couldn't really find any that satisfied my need or my itch when it comes to the area of more scientific knowledge. So I decided to just jump in and create my own podcast to give people information about fermented beverages and foods. The podcast is called The Food Engineer Podcast. It has about 30 episodes so far, and I've covered topics such as cheese production, kefir, beer, distilled spirits. And I also have had the pleasure of interviewing a lot of PhD students from the Cornell Food Science Department in order to give me some insight into their specialties, such as quality assurance and safety and things of that matter.
1: Yeah, that's really fascinating. The topic of fermented foods is something that's of high interest to so many people these days. So if someone wants to listen to your podcast, where can they find it? They can find it in all of the major
3: podcast platforms just have to search for The Food Engineer Podcast the entire term, or you can just go to www.thefoodengineerpodcast.com and you can either contact me through there or just jump from there to all the major platforms.
1: Fantastic. And you you said most of the episodes are Spanish language, but there are a few that are English language.
3: That's right. About 95 to 99% of them are Spanish language, but I feel that it's a great way to practice your Spanish.
1: That's right. Why not learn Spanish with an interesting topic? So you've developed something called Maplo. Can you tell us what the product is and, and what led you to develop it? So Maplo is
3: a maple spirit or maple liqueur, to be more precise. And it falls more into the category of a digestive, a sweetened liqueur, if you may. It all started one day, like Catherine mentioned, we were brewing a collaboration beer together at Lucky Hair Brewing Company with the Big Red Brewing Club. And my mind started going places about what other uses could be given to maple syrup in the world of beer. Now, the usage of sugars in beer has been documented for hundreds of years, right? And to this day, we can see a lot of monastic beers that use sugars to one, confer a certain color to the beer but they can also be used to lighten the flavor of beer because most of the sugars are fermentable and that means that you're not adding a type of sugar that comes with a lot of texture but rather most of it will convert to alcohol and then it creates a higher alcohol product but also a lightened flavor alcohol product and through that process i started looking at maple And we went back and forth with different options to use maple and alcoholic products. But I was also working with distilled spirits at the time. And I had a bottle at home of this French product that's called Pomo, which is a French liqueur that is made from apple juice or fermented apple juice that is arrested or fortified with an apple brandy. And in using that same methodology, I thought that we could create something similar that was more close to the type of products that we have in the Finger Lakes area. And I thought that the same process could be used with maple. So I talked to Catherine and we just went back and forward and devised a way to utilize maple syrup as if it was more or less like the apple juice in the pomo. And we gave it a try. And the ending product, we gave it the name of Maplow to kind of take on a similar name to Pomo. And I'm, I'm very proud to say that the result was pretty good.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's really fascinating how this product came about. And if I can just kind of recap what you said and make sure I understand correctly, because I'm, I'm a forester and I think a lot of maple producers who might be listening to this are more woods oriented and maybe not as familiar with the, the world of alcoholic spirits. So it sounds like for a O, you partially ferment apple juice and then you stop the fermentation by adding a high alcohol fortification and that's what makes the fermentation stop?
3: That's correct. It's it's a way of preserving some of the sugars that are already in the fermenting apple juice while also increasing the alcohol level and being able to obtain a product that has a, a long shelf life.
1: Okay, so with the MAPLO... You're partially fermenting a dilution of maple syrup, and then what are you fortifying it with to arrest the fermentation?
3: So, in in the
1: case of Maplo,
3: we decided to go with a, a slight modification in the process. So instead of starting with a juice that is fermenting and stopping that fermentation, we start with first a fermentation that is distilled into a spirit, and then we put that into a mixture of water and maple syrup. So that way we could forego a lot of the steps that have to do with controlling that fermentation, but also obtaining a product that is a lot more translucent. Hmm.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. And the fact that you you use maple changes this product tremendously. I mean, it's, a, it's quite a bit different than a Palmo flavor profile-wise, I would imagine. What is attractive to you about working with maple? What qualities does it confer onto the spirit? See, I
3: didn't grow up with maple in my diet, which is an interesting part. I, I grew up in Puerto Rico and by the age of 12 or so, a friend of my family gave us as a, a Christmas gift, I think, a whole gallon of maple syrup. And that kind of changed my life from there on. And uh, it, it's just that it's a very clean sweetness. And it also has certain layers depending on how dark it is and how it is processed, but it can have a lot of new ones when it comes to layers like vanilla flavor, caramel, and a very attractive nose, if I may use that term, that borrowed from maybe more of the wine world. So I thought when you look at pomo, you tend to have the character of the apple in itself. It's it's perhaps one of the most clean expressions of apple because you have apple juice apple alcohol. So if we were to use that same process for maple, we could just elevate all of the good characteristics that I like in maple and put them into a liqueur. But I couldn't think of any negative attributes in maple itself, right? There's no bitterness. I've never had one with a lot of tannins or anything like that. So it seemed to me like a good combination where we could just portray those good qualities.
1: That sounds like maple, you know, as an ingredient, it's, it's so attractive, not only for distilled spirits, beer and things like that, but for so many other things. Can you think of any other types of products that you might be interested in using maple for?
3: Yes, we looked at also using maple sugars, and this is something that I believe the Maple Program has tried in the past. But using maple sugars in a similar way to what is known in the beer world as Belgian candy, which is an invert type of sugar that is cooked to different temperatures to attain a certain color. And then you can use that palette of different sugars to change the color of your beer. But also, like I said before, when we we're talking about monastic beers, where you kind of lighten up the flavor, so you can have a very dark beer that is not so chewable it's not so dense and then it also has some of the qualities of maple so i believe there is some room for developing some sugars in that area that can be used in the beer world
1: so that candy sugar could be used for something like a a belgian strong ale but with maple characteristics potentially certainly yeah hopefully we'll see some of those products start to come under development because i think as you said, there's a lot of potential there to use not only maple syrup in the syrup form, but the sugars and the flavor of maple syrup can be intensified in some ways by converting it to sugar, which is something that Catherine's been working on. So definitely a lot of potential there. Christian, And you're clearly very knowledgeable about this topic. So we're really glad that you're able to collaborate with Catherine and work with maple and give us this fascinating new product. And as it happens, we have samples of this nice product in front of us for a little on-air tasting. So, you want to walk us through this?
3: Sure. In here, I have two versions of Maplow. And interestingly enough, they're, they started as the same product. And as we mentioned before, Maplow is a fermented maple syrup that is distilled, and then it is mixed again with maple syrup and water. So, on our first cup, we have a version of it that is just that. Simple Maplow, and on the second cup, we have the same product that went through an aging process in what is known as a whiskey barrel. It's, it's not a barrel that was used already for whiskey, but it was a new barrel with a certain level of charring. So it gets burned inside in the manufacturing process. So it confers certain attributes to the end product. So the second glass that we have has that product that has been aging for a month in a barrel. And although it is a short time, we may already be able to pick up some of those differences. So why don't we go ahead and try the first one?
1: Wow, before I even reached my lips with the glass, the aroma was just so delicious. Just, just smelling it is an experience by itself.
3: Yeah, I feel that the aroma from maple carries through very strongly, which is a good thing. and. It gives you an opportunity to use your highest quality maple syrup that you have to dilute at the very end and make it shine. But it also gives you the opportunity to differentiate your product. So you can make three, four different types of maplot with a light, a medium, and a dark or extra dark type of syrup.
1: Yeah, I feel like I'm simultaneously at a nice bar and in the sugar house.
3: (laughs) I'll take that as a compliment.
1: (laughs) Two great places to be.
3: So one thing I want to note in here is, first of all, the aroma carries a little bit of that liquor or that alcohol slight burn that you would associate with the still spirit. But because this batch is only 20% alcohol, it doesn't overpower the maple aroma. And then when you taste it, you'll find that equally, the first thing that comes through is that sweetness. And then when the sweetness is reduced, you end up with the alcohol spice that stays in your tongue. So initial impressions are sweetness and your aftertaste is a little bit more of a sensation of slight alcohol burn. You can also notice that there is an aftertaste and the aftertaste is rather sweet.
1: Mm-hmm. I think you've you found the holy grail here. And that's the thing that people search for with maple is it's, it's so sweet that it's, it's hard to use in beverages sometimes without it becoming kind of syrupy or sickly sweet. But the alcohol really balances that out nicely. So you're left with something that's a really pleasant maple flavor and kind of on the back of the palate that lingers in your mouth in a really nice way.
3: Yes, I feel that the slight alcohol burn serves as a pause between the maple taste and then the aftertaste. It becomes like a designed pause in between the two.
1: Yeah. Catherine, jump in there. What do you think of this?
2: Oh, I really love the balance of the flavors. At first when I taste it, I really get a, a nice strong vanilla essence. And then as that goes away, I pick up more flavors, just like Christian was mentioning. I think that the complexity of the flavors is is quite beautiful in this beverage.
1: Yeah. There's surprising complexity in there. I think this is, you know, if you're drinking this as an aperitif or a digestif, that's something you would drink with small sips and, and really savor it. So this lends itself well to that type of application. You know, I found that sweet spirits can be a little bit more challenging to pair than a dry spirit. But when you find those really good pairings, the results a really rich experience. What kind of foods do you think would pair well with this? I would suggest pairing this with mainly desserts. There's a
3: a rule in wine that normally your wine has to be equally or sweeter than the food that you're pairing it with. So I feel that you could use maple to pair it with something like a caramel or chocolate-based dessert. Also, any dessert that already has maple because it has this adding effect between the two. And then it serves as a bridge between your dessert and your drink. But also, I would say that by itself, it goes really well in front of the fireplace.
1: Oh, I can imagine that. And I can also imagine myself with a, a little slice of maple cheesecake on the side to go with this. That would be really delightful.
3: That sounds like a great pairing. We we have
1: to try that. That can be arranged. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think even maybe a soft cheese might go well with it too. That subtleness and creaminess along with the, the hit of the sweetness. That would be a nice balance too.
1: Like a nice buttery brie topped with some candied nuts and fruits, something like that.
2: Oh, yeah. Even brie and crackers. and Oh, yeah. That'd be perfect for a cold winter day.
3: Now that you mentioned that, we associate the usage of syrups and jams with charcuterie boards often, where we have charcuterie, nuts, cheeses, crackers, everything together. So if you're already making that type of pairing, the Maplow only seems fit.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: Absolutely. Shall we try the, the aged version?
3: Certainly. So in your second glass, we have, like I mentioned, a 30-day aged Maplow in an oak barrel. It's a charred oak barrel. And for those who know a little bit about oak barrels, this was a new barrel, which means that it lends a lot more character. Up in the nose, you you'll find that the aroma is slightly different. It's a little bit more caramel than it is just dark maple syrup. And this one doesn't seem to confer a lot of the burning aromas that the first one did. However, when you taste it, you'll find that the aftertaste, it's a little bit more like a whiskey. It has some notes of wood. It has some notes of caramel, some notes of vanilla, and the burning sensation It's parallel to those
1: flavors as opposed to being a series of flavors. Let's have a taste. Wow, that's really delicious. And even if you hadn't mentioned the barrel aging process with this, I would have immediately said this is a little bit reminiscent of whiskey. I really picked that up, that woodiness that you mentioned.
2: Yeah, you can smell and taste it.
1: Do you find that the wood taste
3: and the wood aromas come through more on the taste or on the aftertaste?
1: I actually find it more in the nose, to be honest. I, I really That really strikes me before I, I taste it, just the, that whiskey smell. But the, the wood notes, I don't know. Catherine, do you taste them more up front or on the back of your palate after it lingers for a little while?
2: It's hard to tell. I, f- I feel like I'm tasting them more up front than as a lingering flavor.
1: I think they're in both places. Yeah, what I
3: wanted to go with this question was that Everybody has different apparatus to smell and taste, right? So, in my case, there's some aromas that are more muted too, whereas there's others that are more sensitive too. And I tend to pick it more on the aftertaste where it's evident that both of you pick it up in the nose and up front, which is an interesting thing. There's a, it's a little bit for everybody here.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I have to say, with, with one month of oak aging, the flavor has really become more complex just in that short period of time, which is quite impressive. I'm curious, do you think that it would take the same amount of time if we had chosen to use oak chips rather than the barrel? Do you think that's an option for producers?
3: Certainly. Using oak chips, it's always an option. And even professional distillers use it to give it a little bit of a added flavor. What we have to consider is two things. One of them is your ratio of the surface area that you have in a barrel versus what you have in a glass container, for example. So you want to add enough chips so that you have enough volume to surface area there to give off some of that flavor. The one thing that it might not be as easy to control is that when you use a barrel, there is some inherent porosity in that wood. So you will have some evaporation, and at the same time, you will have some oxidation that comes with the air traveling through the wood and then getting into the spirit. So even though it might be a little bit different, you can achieve a similar result.
1: Well, I have to say, the result is definitely delicious. I really appreciate you sharing these samples. That was exciting to try these. And I understand you have an upcoming event in Geneva where people can taste this product. Is that right?
3: Yes, we're planning a tasting of my plow so that people can come over to Geneva and see the place where it was made but also to try the different versions of it at the moment where you're planning to have this event in the summer
1: we'll be sure to post that on cornellmaple.com so folks know when the event's taking place and how to get there thanks for sharing that information christian and lastly is there any contact information or do you have a website or anything like that you can go to www.caldamentum.com
3: or you can contact me at christian at caldamentum.com and you can search me up on LinkedIn.
1: Thanks so much, Christian. And thanks for your time today. And thank you too, Catherine. This has been really fun and we look forward to seeing other new products coming down the pipeline in the future. So thanks to both of you. Yeah, it's it's been really
3: fun. Thanks for helping me make this a reality.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me too.
3: Have a great day,
1: folks. Take care.
2: You too.
1: So that was a really fun interview, Adam, and just one of the projects that we're engaged in in the area of new product development. What were some of the takeaways that you had from this conversation?
0: Yeah, it sounds like a fun interview. I'm I'm jealous that I missed out on the tasting, but... It's great that we have this collaboration with all these different partners, and it was great to meet Catherine and introduce her to our listeners. It's been excellent to have her on board with our Cornell Maple program to be able to create these new product developments and provide opportunities and accessibility for maple producers and others who maybe aren't maple producers, but folks who are experts in their own fields, like Christian, who's working on his master's in food science and has this expertise in distilling and brewing. Yeah, I took away
1: sort of the same lessons, Adam. And, you know, the first one is that developing new products is complex. It requires special equipment, knowledge, and expertise. So one of the takeaways is that this is a really valuable thing that we have going at Cornell. You know, we have this really great ecosystem to work in where we're surrounded by experts in a lot of different fields and highly motivated graduate students so that Catherine can work with someone like Christian and have a really good successful outcome. So that was one of the lessons I took away. But the other lesson is that we're going about this in a way that results in very accessible information being developed. And what I mean by that is we take a complex problem or product that we're trying to develop, work with experts, get through all the technical and regulatory hurdles. But then that's all translated into something like a fact sheet that any layperson can read and understand that gives enough background and technical information that they could take that. For instance, a maple producer without any special expertise in distilling or alcohol production could take that information and use it as the basis to launch their own new product. They could take their syrup, along with a fact sheet to a distillery and say, hey, can we collaborate on this or something like that? So I think we're really lowering the barriers to entry with this approach and also generating information that's actually useful for maple producers.
0: I think that collaboration is key that, you know, we as maple producers, we don't necessarily need to start distilling now too. But, you know, taking this information, we can then go to somebody who has that expertise and work together to create Some kind of product so that you're not trying to buy new equipment and add on to all the other different aspects of maple production that you're doing, but working with others to create those new products and promote maple into that area beyond just a, you know, that table syrup. I thought it was also kind of neat that, you know, Christian's not just using amber maple syrup or whatever, but utilizing even some of those buddy and processing syrups that are. Not just in the typical processing syrup use, but actually making more of a gourmet product out of that that utilizes those different unique flavor characteristics from different grades of
1: maple syrup. Mm-hmm. The the value of having someone come in with a different field of expertise, like Christian, who comes from an engineering background, is really highlighted in this interview. And it's not just for new product development that that's useful for maple If you think about it, maple syrup is a small industry compared to something like the wine industry, but they face a lot of the same challenges in the wine industry. For example, they're filtering a product that has a lot of solids in it, so there are filtering challenges. They have to maintain sterile environments in certain parts of their operation, and these are all challenges we face too. And by doing that kind of technology transfer with some of these bigger industries, we we can learn a lot. And some of that translates into new product development and some of it is just improving the processes that we utilize to make maple syrup. Yeah, ultimately we're processing food,
0: right? And so there's so many other experts out there and other equipment that we can utilize or learn from within the maple industry.
1: Yeah, so if folks are interested in this, they can go to CornellMaple.com and pull up our new product development page and there's all kinds of information there and we'll be adding more information soon on other things as as we research them.
0: Yeah, it's so exciting to to hear about and taste these new products. So looking forward to new things coming out of the Cornell Maple Program.
1: Great, so perhaps we'll feature some of these new products in future episodes.
0: Sounds good. See you next time. Thank you for joining us for Sweet Talk. All Things Maple with Aaron and Adam. Sweet Talk is produced by the Cornell Maple Program and is made possible from funding from the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture. All music was obtained from Blue Dot Sessions. For more information on all things Maple, visit CornellMaple.com. Join us next time for more Maple Sweet Talk. Have a sweet day.